0: The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies, and we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, Top 50 Women in Tech Influencer, co-author of the AI
1: book, and Data Governance Expert. I am Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast.
0: Today, I'm really pleased to have Kevin Ladwick, a Managing Director of Data Governance Consultant at Information Assets join us today. Welcome, Kevin.
2: Oh, Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome.
0: So first, maybe I'll start off with asking you, Kevin, what do you do at Information Assets? And what is Information Assets for those of you yeah. not familiar?
2: Yeah, Information Asset is a, a a premier provider of data governance, data management solutions. A lot of our focus lately, or in the past has been, you know, standing up products like uh, Calibra, Axon, Informatic, uh, Leish and Manta, all that fun stuff, integrations and stuff like that. But what I really think, or really the audience might be interested in, I believe is there's a change. The pendulum has switched. It used to be that, you know, you and I and folks like us would say, well, let's go stand-up data governance, let's stand up data management tools, you know, the kind of what and the how, you know. But the pendulum's changed. It isn't what and how anymore. It's turned to why. I mean, just let that thing sink in for a second. What does that mean? It's it's changed. The why? You ever been on a project? I know I, I stood up a couple customers like a large, one of large learning science companies out of New York and at the end of the year, they said, why are we doing governance, right? And it wasn't so much why it's because, well, we know we want good data quality. That ain't what why means anymore. Mm. You guys with me so far? Yep. The, why, the why is, can you Kevin, quantify the value of our program, or even more so, quantify the value of the data that's within our program. Or people start going, well, it isn't so much data anymore. It's the enterprise metadata. It's the relationships and characteristics of why they exist, for example, I may have and I'm a data governance, I'm a CD, I'm a CDO and I, I manage all these report inventories and they're linked back to data elements and all that fun stuff. And we're measuring the performance of that, but it still doesn't justify my existence at the end of the day, right? That report has some kind of value. Is it worth 10,000? Is it worth 5,000? Is it worth 4,000? So that's what I'm saying. The why, if you're tracking the why things exist to support data management or data value, the why. You can present to, it seems to be the customer for me now, a lot is the finance side. They're like, I'm spending all that money on Calibra. I'm spending all this money on these other tools, but I can't really justify it. And I got seven people supporting that. That's $700,000 a year. Am I getting $700,000 a year in return? Mm -hmm. So really now the pendulum is why, 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 in terms of what is the value of that data? Like for example, you could have, I don't know, a, a, a birth, a, a date of birth field. By the time you knock, by the time you evaluate that date of birth field, you may say that that date of birth field, based on where it's used and how it's used, is really worth $150 per date of birth, right? You start getting down to that level. Or even on the report side, I may have, I don't know, some some reports in one platform, and I wanna move to another platform. And the reason I'm doing that is because I wanna know why the cost is the way it is. If I move from this platform, I'm removing $20,000 a month in report generation costs. But if I move to this platform, I've converted that to only 5,000, right? So that's a reduction of $15,000.
1: Kevin, that's oh, an, a very interesting that, yeah. perspective that you're bringing yeah. uh, the tra- the conversation has moved to why. Uh, is, is there a, uh, a point uh, in, in this overall data management governance that that happened uh, as it happened gradually? Um, you know, What triggered the conversation from what and how to why? Oh,
2: well, we used to focus a lot on, remember the remember the times when we would say, well, well, I got data monetization. I want to make money off the data. I want to sell it. And that never really totally flew. I didn't really see. But I always saw people say, well, how do I reduce costs to support my data or to transmit my data? That's one of them. That's the why. That's part of the why. And then there's mitigating risk. And And every time I turn around, there's a California regulation, a European regulation, another state regulation. And then after a while, tracking that relationship to mitigate risk also became a value, a dollar value. For example, CCPA, if I owned a company in California or done business in the United States and did a lot of California folks, I may have possibly 27 million customers, if you will, or 20 million customers. And the probability of an accident happen, I think, is something like, I don't know, I can't remember, it was like 27% 27% chance or something like that, I don't know. But anyways, I'd have to go kind of look at that. But there's a certain percentage or, or probability that events going to occur. If that event occurs as a $700 penalty, blah, blah, blah. And when it all dust settles, you end up with a $300 million hickey against your company, possibly if that data breach happens. And that's all by mitigating that risk, right? So you have to be able to quantify that risk and manage to that dollar amount
1: associated that risk so so some of the uh, conversation, what you're saying is it's mm-hmm. it's driven by you know the financing uh, finances, the cost yeah. aspect of it, now also risk mitigation because yeah. of uh, some of the regulatory things that have been coming up over the horizon with the CCPA with GDPR, so yeah. those also triggered this discussion of you know why that's what you're you're saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, yeah yeah. What other
0: influences do you hear, though? I mean, I mean, I work a lot with chief data officers. And they're also always thinking about what's the ROI, like what's the um, the return on investment for a lot of these technology tools. Um, can you think of more other other examples other than um, reducing cost and saving headcount, and you know some of the some of more negative aspects, I
2: think. Of. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, increasing revenue is, is, the, is extremely important, obviously, and that's part of the, one of the things in the world of data valuation, right? So here's an example. Let's say I sold, I don't know, I'll make it up, Netflix or something, streaming services. Mm-hmm. You know, that customer record is, you know, we'll say maybe they pay 10, $12 a month, right? So, you would can honestly say that that master record for that customer is worth $12 a month. How can I, on the monetization side, or I should say the revenue side, take that 10 and make it 12 or 13 or 14? Mm-hmm. So, that's where that comes from. So, I do that analysis and I discover that the member record is worth $12 per record per month. But if I wanted to upsell that particular record, what other services would I sell to it? And what would in so it's that correlation, really, is what that member record is worth, right? And then mm-hmm. what can we you know upsell to? I mean, it's you know, sounds kind of basic, but in reality, some customer records, they never they never materialize past the first ninety days because you get a ninety day kind of promotion period and all that fun stuff. But that member record is is, you know, um, you. Maybe may be promotional tactics, if you will, to take that 90 day promotional member record and move it forward and move it up the value chain, if you will, to, to do upsells or cross-sells. Yeah. So that's, that's really here. where
0: we, yeah, go ahead. that's really where we see data governance teams, you know, working very closely with, you know, the sales marketing and product team,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so that they can understand, so they can make those type of better, uh, sales, better sales campaigns, better um, marketing pitches to a better customer because they have the data, right? And I,
2: yeah, because they have the data, but how fast can you find and interpret that data? That's the hard part, mm. right? It's all speed nowadays. It's like how yeah, that's people.
1: true. That's true. So Kevin, I mean, you have a very deep data governance and data management experience, right? So if you go back in the resume, you've been a board member of North Texas Data Management Association. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of uh, governance, so, but let me ask you this, um, somewhat a, a tough question to data governance professionals, right? Mm. So data governance in the past, I don't know if it's now, is seen as an overhead, right? The moment, you know, somebody says data governance, oh man, right? So yeah. that kind of thinking. And then there, is, there was even a discussion in the past, um, or maybe we should call it something else because of this, uh, you know, negative. So what is the current state of data governance in the industry? Is it, yeah. it morphed to something else, or how is it being positioned?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I tr- there is this trend now to go towards this thing. I kind of alluded to it in a bit: data monetization, mm-hmm. data monetizations increase revenue, reduce cost, mitigate risk. It's the three things. Mm-hmm. So now everything Sorry, say, is,
1: say those three things again. I mean, that was very quick. Let, let's say it one more time. What are the three things? Yeah,
2: three things. Really, you know, the world right now has evolved to data monetization, which I was kind of talking about the why, right? It's increased revenue. Okay, that's good. Reduce risk, right? I should say reduce cost okay. and mitigate risk. Reduce cost and mitigate risk. Okay. It's the stuff that we've always said before, but we've never assigned it. We've never assigned those elements to data, mm-hmm. meaning. I can reduce cost on the data structures or the data transmission, right? I can mitigate the risk that's happening with the data. I didn't even mention quality, right? I'm just saying reducing risk, right? Which, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And then increasing revenue by identifying records in it and and identifying records that either uh, can help me promote more effective business or make more effective business decisions where I can drive revenue, that kind of stuff. But it's really data monetization. It's the umbrella thing now. And what's really cool is this: if you take the data monetization world, yeah, where does where there's a new role that companies are starting to put in place? It's called the data monetization officer. Hmm. It's not oh, is that
0: have you seen that? Is an official title in many companies?
2: Uh, a few.
0: Few. Okay. And here's what's
2: interesting: there's the chief data officer. We we know, and they're protecting the data pretty much, and all that fun stuff. But no one's really managing that monetization side, which I talked about, increased revenue, reduced Mm -hmm. costs, mitigate risk. No one's really owning that. That's really, you know who's always asking for that? That's the finance side. The finance is going, tell me what's going on. Why all this burn, right? So we're seeing- Yeah,
0: they they care about the money,
2: right? They care about the money and, and rightly so. But let me branch out one step farther. Remember back in the day when we would talk about Enterprise architecture. I'm a big enterprise architecture guy. And enterprise architecture was always important to me because that allowed me to manage enterprise change. So I look at the data monetization world, not only about understanding the risk and the costs and the value of the data, it's understanding enterprise change. So when I look at that, then the finance guy comes to the data monetization team, it's saying, hey, tell me about the data. But also we're going to be making changes we have transformation initiatives in way to make underway to make money and reduce costs how does that play to you because you understand the data monetization world so how does that come into play so i'm starting to see that data monetization is now i think over the next year or so even even now is starting to move into a part of enterprise change it really is Hmm. in order to tell the story of data you need to know the technology you need to know the systems it lives, you need to know the locations, you need to know the channels, you need to know the lines of business. To me, that's relevant. You can't monetize data unless you know channels and lines of business, frankly, and the products in which they serve, you can't. So if you're gonna really monetize data and handle enterprise change, think of you know, data monetization as enterprise change. It's part of the transformation office. It's part of all that. Because if somebody, I remember I was working at one large company in the West Coast, And their whole thing was I am probably throwing another thing at you because we're having a candid conversation is I govern my company by capabilities. I took the value chain. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a, if you take a company's value chain and flatten it out from level one to level three, you flatten it out. There's products, there's sales, there's service and you break it out. There's finance, there's IT basic value chain of a company. You take that and, you, and you, you you break that down to like hierarchy one through three. And level three would be your lowest node and lowest activity like produce product or whatever, right? But every one of those items on that capability tree, don't go any lower than three, every one of those on that capabilities are associated with data pretty much. So if I were to build this, in the old days we started these stewardship organizations, remember by like information yeah. domains, that's how we lived. Yeah. And it, And that became very siloed and everybody fought about who really owned the data. You don't do that anymore.
1: Hmm.
2: That's the bottom up approach. I think you need to do that your first level out of the gate just to understand your data landscape has to be done. But then you come down from the top down and say, I wanna approach it from the capability side. And that capability side will allow me to take data and use it across multiple capabilities or domains. For example, product will use the same data that sales uses or service uses they point kind of to the same data sets if you will at times right in their life cycle or their processes so it's key to us to realize that in order to succeed in governance you have to start from that bottom up and get your baseline and then you also got to come top down and build your hierarchy your capability model and to represent your business whereby you can sign stewardship to those capabilities does that make sense i like to sign my stewardship to those subject areas or those capability areas more so than I do to information domains. I know we started out that path, but I don't think it's a viable path long-term. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm seeing a lot of. I
0: mean, that makes sense. I mean, cause capabilities, you know can transcend beyond the traditional domains. And yeah. these, I see that stewards have to see a lot of the end to end of the data life cycle. So it, it, does, yes. it definitely cross across. So, Certainly makes a lot of
2: sense. Yeah, it's kind of fun, actually. And and it's nice because the business really feels part of it because the stewardship, when you assign them to those capability areas, they live and work in those areas. Mm -hmm. So they get it, they can understand and rationalize it, and they understand the touch points of the data. You know, really gives a good business flair. Right. Yeah.
1: So um, going into I a mean, little bit deeper into this, this mm-hmm. area, right? So, data governance, data, there are best practices, right? So, the the, the most um, fun thing that I have a discussion about, there are, everybody says these are the best practices. Hey, you have a data governance professional from the business side, get the stakeholder support from the highest executive. You know, projects that succeed are the ones who uh, follow best practices. And then there is this reality. Mm-hmm. So, the reality is yes, it starts with the business person doing data governance, and that person does not have time. You know, because that is not measured by, you know, their managers, you know, how much time you spent in data governance, they are measured by, you know, how much revenue did you, you know, get in, how much cost, right? So then they transfer that data governance to technical side kind of stuff, right? So, so Kevin, what are you seeing from a trends perspective? Is, is, are we able to bridge the gap between what are the best practices versus what is the reality in terms of how we should follow the best practices?
2: Yeah, I know. It's kind of a catch 22. you write Performance metrics and people just tailor their behavior, to performance, performance metrics, but really never get to the gist of it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the tough thing. I think where, what I've learned anyways for for when I say stewardship and all that fun stuff, it just to me is data quality a lot. Right. Yeah. And when I think of data quality, it isn't so much the, the data quality checks yeah, that's good and all. Our technical people do that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And there's data quality dimensions and all that fun stuff. But, but really, you have to, if I had to make my stewardship organization effective, I'd have to teach everybody really how to do, I'll call it the data quality framework. Right? And the data quality framework that I always think of when I think of data quality is a touch on issues management. Mm-hmm. Or, um, problem management, release management, I'm tapping into the IT life cycle. So in order for me to be effective in the stewardship world, it's taken the IT services that already exist today in these large firms, incident management, problem management, release management, change management, all that fun stuff that executes in harmony, it's been doing it a while, is making your data quality life cycle tied into that. And I like to use, I don't know if you read much on David Lashen stuff, but I love reading on David Lashen's Virtuous, Data quality life cycle or cycle of data quality, he would call it. But in that cycle of data quality, he takes into consideration, hey, find the issues, leverage issues management. And some things actually materialize in the projects, not just remediate it as an issue. So if you think of data quality as not really totally just issues management, but leveraging the back end processes that IT has for issues, problem, change, release, config, all that fun stuff, you're on the right track. And I think that behavior drives the stewardship organization because it holds everybody accountable. You're mm-hmm. tapping into the, I don't know, I'll call it the the backbone of how things are discovered, designed, developed, and deployed. And that's what it's all about, right? Speed. Mm-hmm.
0: Kevin, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, I mean, you've been a you know, data governance consultant. I mean, could you walk us through what? What are the top things you look for when, day one, you're entering a new company for a project? Um, What type of questions would you be asking this organization to sort of assess their data maturity? And then what types of things would you do to try to help them in terms of achieving their data goals?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of frameworks one would use. I like to use the open source one, Mike 2. I don't know if you're familiar with Mike 2, you could do CMM or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, but I like the open source one because I don't have to pay for it, I'm kind of cheap. So I take Mike 2 and I kind of tweak it, but it's all about, you know, do you have, do you have an enterprise data model is a question maybe, right, the data model stuff. What's your enterprise data model look like? What's your canonical model? Do you have an inventory of reports? Do you have an inventory of reports? Uh, are those reports linked back to CDEs? Do You mm-hmm. apply quality rules to the CDEs. And the reason I keep bringing up reports is because the speed of adoption is all about reports. It's data and analytics. Remember, we used to say data governance. Really, it's data and analytics governance.
1: Okay, yeah. Is that the current state assessment you're talking about?
2: Is that- yeah, the current state assessment. Yeah. So I'd start asking those questions and probe it to figure out. And then do you have a stewardship model? You know, what are your policies regarding security? Do you have those documented? All that stuff. If I took the the DEMBOK wheel and I punched all the way around those and probe. That's kind of how I look at it. But Mike 2 allows me that, you know, open source kind of method allows me to do that same thing with a standard tool, you know, if you will, or standard questions that people use. But that's right. That's what I would use to do the current state assessment pretty much. Yeah.
1: But, you know, when it's all, st- I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh,
0: go
2: ahead.
1: Yeah, okay. so I think Kevin, I mean, that's, that's really good. So you're starting with the current state assessment and, okay. and then afterwards, then you would uh, put together a maturity model assessment and, and then you propose the what are the next steps, just follow okay. up on Peggy. So I,
2: I, would, I would score it from level one to level five. We love that terminology, right? But there's one thing I like to use. It's like, you know, I like like level two and level three is reactive and proactive. Most customers are reactive. In some instances, proactive, but mostly reactive, between reactive and proactive, two and a three. That's just the way it is hmm. overall. They're either a 1.6 below reactive, whatever, but that's what we're finding, right? And I'll give but, you the
1: flip side. As a, as a consultant, you wouldn't go wrong if you do two and three. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't.
2: My goal is to get you to, my goal is to, get you to three. Yeah. It's a lot of work to get the four and five, whatever, but three is what I want to get you defined and, you're, and, and you measured, right? I'm, yeah. I'm happy. And then everybody's happy. So my goal on these assessments, current status figure, out what would I do to take that one in that category or that two and make it a three? That's what I build my of. Yeah. Get them to three as quick as possible. And that's what we do. And it's not a tool problem though a lot, right? That's the part, you know, you can spend a lot of money on, on tools to solve half of those things, but it's mostly procedures and people and, and knowing what
1: things you. are.
0: And how much of it is also the, the culture of the organization? Mm. I mean, that I, f- I see is data culture is mm. one of the hardest things to increase and change quickly. I, I, what are your thoughts on, on that, wow. Kevin? I mean, yeah. that's something yeah. obviously c- you can't just hire a consultant to fix. It's no. you required have to,
1: much you more. Figure, right, <laughs>
2: Yeah, you could. You, you, well, here's the deal. Everything, it is all about a culture. Everybody, It's all about establishing behavior, but that all begins with establishing awareness, frankly. You know, I had two large projects that I was on where the main goal was, okay, I got my stewardship organization up, I got governance, but I need to raise the level of awareness across the enterprise. And that awareness became on training sessions. Some of them, the stewards, not stewards, but that wasn't the problem with stewards. It was getting the company aware of how to think about data. And that awareness, when they discovered an anomaly, where to go, how do we report it? establishing that comfortability. So on one customer I had, it was, we did the awareness campaign on TV screens and break rooms and uh, marketing materials, if you will, internally. And you have to go that awareness level. Otherwise I don't think you can do it because people don't have the desire unless they are aware and they're not going to definitely learn the knowledge unless you create the desire. Right. And they're not going to get the ability unless you, you, you kind of, you know, Apply that knowledge to that skill. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Adcar at all. I mean, What's it's that? Adcar, Adcar by Prosci, change management.
1: Uh, I myself, I'm not familiar. I don't know if Peggy, uh, if you are. Yeah. Uh, no. yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: Okay. Mike, too, for data assessment, data management maturity. Prosci for actually behavior and personal change or professional change, getting people to buy in. Prosci right. is uh, a program where they teach you to think one thing or think a certain way. And I do this like when I do interview candidates, are they aware of what they need to do? Do they have the desire to do it? Do they have the knowledge to do it? I can have the knowledge to do it, but do I have the ability to do it? And the last part is, can I report or reinforce on it? It's that ADCAR model that if you're gonna go do change for data governance, I firmly believe in, because it's what's the awareness? How do I create the desire? Why aren't my executives doing what I asked them to do? Hmm. How do I create that desire? So you yeah. create a heat map on your executives, if you will, say this person's green, red, or yellow, and you manage to that. You try to you know, convert the red to yellow, convert the yellow to green, so you heat map your organization, maybe by department or people level, depends how you That'd want to do it. Yeah, but it's, it's, quite, effect, it's quite effective. It, it really is. So if you use that model for your people side of governance, you're on, you're on track.
1: Yeah, that's great. Actually, you're bringing a very good point. No, the people process technology, we typically do that for the processes, right? And we typically do that for technologies. But what you're saying is you do that also for the people, right? Especially Mm -hmm. the executive management, you know, you grade them on their support for whatever you're implementing, you know, it's a red, yellow, green, Yeah. and then you manage that. that. That's a really good point. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it, it's pretty fun cuz they hate to see themselves in red on an org chart cuz i'll have the org chart and i pop up red yellow green this is where i'm finding buy in and people may not like it but it's true right you know
1: i can't imagine myself going into the executive meeting hey now you're red so i'll take you from red to yellow so i don't want, so that's called, that's well, what i call it a clm a career limiting move
2: yeah it is I, I i guess what i should say on that one is is my me and my sponsor would review, review that heat map
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.